Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome back, Wheatland Church. This is Dr. Dan Spanger at Cross Reference. I don't know if I ever told you, Luke, how much I really appreciated that name cross-reference <laughs> from my old baptist days i don't know is that, is that where you got that, that from that, well not really but um that was a big deal back in uh yeah in, in the world where the scriptures um and indeed still the same are at the center of our life you're always right. looking for what scripture says about other scriptures and that's that cross-reference bit well it's yeah. and it dawned on me i think the last time we did it and as i was saying it my mind went off somewhere so i hope i didn't get distracted in the first part of the podcast but was the idea that way we're also cross-referencing back to the sermon so there was layers i didn't, ah, I I didn't realize were embedded like in it. there yeah yeah so that was i really i meant to say a couple of times i really like the title of this the more yeah. i because every time I send the file over, let you guys know the files uploaded, I always have to type it out. And it just, I'm like, wow, I really yeah. like that. That's fun. <laughs> anyway, I'm grateful for that. So, so that's actually, um, and I, I don't know that I was thinking this way, but that's one of the key points that seemed to me you started us on as we're mm. looking at, at Ephesians. Because I, I think you've mm-hmm. said this clearly to us, that Ephesians is, is the book of the church. It is, this, mm-hmm. it is this defense of the church and what Christ is doing, which is this phenomenal mystery that just takes a lot to figure out. And mm-hmm. Paul walks us through it all. But you started out, I can, again, sort of reframe and direct us that when we come to Ephesians, we're coming into a day and age when culture had an awful lot to say about who everyone was and where everyone belonged. And that what Paul is doing, like you've tried, you've done with us through Genesis, is Hmm. trying to give us a new source by which we evaluate all these problems, which I have to say, Luke, is really, really hard. (laughs) <laughs> because, because because we've all learned to we've all been weaned on cultural yeah. values and ideas right. that we've been doing politically right. and socially yeah. and culturally that if we're supposed to see yeah. all of this stuff through the bible it's it just means you have to leave one whole set of perspectives yeah not just add another one and i think that's what you're getting at the beginning yeah. of this we're supposed to hear the bible more than yeah. on cultural terms but and, and the, good news, the good news is it's hard for all of us. It's hard for right, me right. as a pastor. It's hard for, I assume it's hard for you as a professor. It's, oh yeah, goodness. It was, it was uh, hard for Paul and his people. Oh. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. It is hard. And that is sort of what I was uh, starting out with was inviting us to sort of hit the mute button for just a moment, which of right, course we right. can't do because even once we hit the mute button, um, 
we know too much or right. we, it's an internal know, microphone right. there, yeah. there's a dialogue that's still going on in our hearts right. and i understand that and um yeah but just how do we come to this and try to um hear paul's context and and his situation and uh sort of reimagine the landscape that paul is working in and preaching in in a moment before making the automatic translation. And I think, right. I mean, we, you and I have just been talking um, a little bit off screen. We didn't talk about this, but it seems to me that is really relevant yeah, to very relevant. how we're walking through this um, and thinking about um, some of these things is like, there's, there's one thing to uh, see something in the text and then grab it and use it right away there's another thing to try and sit with it in the world that it actually is unfolding in right and that you still have to contextualize it but right. you have to know its original context to make you a better and right. better contextualizer and i hope we're all growing in that i don't think anybody hits that home run their first time sure. up at the plate but that's sure. something that we always have to be growing in as well so well, yeah i was go ahead yeah. i was inviting us into let's sit with a moment with this and then try and zoom out a little bit right yeah no and, it, and it's difficult because I, I think of augustine who you know really gives us some some serious and hard language that if we are belonging to a different kingdom that's not just a law system it's a cultural way of life and yeah if what paul is doing here is asking yeah. us to enter a different it's like traveling to another country and culture language values and then trying to orient yourself to a whole different way you have to address yeah. people and whether you look them in the eye or don't look them in the eye. I can imagine how thorough that is of, mm -hmm. a, of a translation you have to make. Yeah. That it's it's that, I think what Augustine's driving, it's that serious mm. of, of a, you have to get out yeah. of one culture into the next. It's just, it goes all the way down to the way you see the world. Yeah. You posture yourself. And, yeah. Which it's so, by definition, it's going to be extremely difficult. Yeah. So there, you're, you're basically saying there's no such thing as a separation of faith and politics and you, you come out and say, <laughs> oh, right. well, faith right in now. anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Culture and yeah, yeah right. all these things. Right. And the other right. thing, which I, which, you know, as I was thinking through the context, which really amazes me about Paul and Ephesians is that the, the distinctions themselves are very fluid, mm. right? Like if, like if you were to go to Jerusalem, you know, and, and minus outside Jerusalem and the temple area, the, the Jews have all the authority to determine how the religious life of the Jew goes. But if you get to Ephesians, the Jews have no power. They're, a, right. they're, a, they're an oppressed population. So mm -hmm. Paul is writing truths that have to matter to Jews who are in one place entirely in control of the religious life, mm -hmm. and Jews in another place are entirely oppressed, and Greeks mm -hmm. who have no access on one side, but have mm -hmm. all the political power on the other. So mm -hmm. there's so many different narratives. It's not even simple. It's so right. Paul speaking in this very complex, fluid narrative. And he's in one sense understanding it, but in the other sense, he's brushing it aside. Yeah. Going, however you deal with all of that, this is how you have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that's what makes it um, difficult too, is Keith and I were talking a little bit uh, after the sermon and saying, yeah, that's fine. Keith was saying, yeah, that's fine. But um, it seems to me like uh, Paul is writing to, um, like one group of people with one set of, at least at this point, theological convictions, hmm. and they're all trusting Paul for this. And now you're speaking into a context 
that has a whole sort of gambit of theological commitments yeah. and and yeah. so what you know so yeah it's it's i think it's complicated then and it's complicated now well it is it is and that it's foreign to everybody that's one thing is right. I, I try to help students with and when we get through history is that you know you have in your mind some ideal time or place where you know whether it's america or whether mm-hmm. it's the reformation period or whether whatever europe middle ages whatever there's some time when oh christianity sort of agreed and i said where, why do you think monarchy was such um so powerful an idea because they biblicized mm-hmm. it it was the common right. way everyone looked at the world and they went oh yeah that's perfect that's why we understand kids yeah. so they they idealized something that they converted the Bible into culturally. They 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 justified their view of things biblically the same way we do. It's mm-hmm. as you said, it's hard for everyone. This is foreign to, to every yeah. human being since the garden. Right. This is tough. And I think that's a comfort for us to say if you struggle with figuring this out, it's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, we all struggle trying to figure right. this out. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I appreciated that. Um but one thing you did, I think, was neat in, in this sermon is when you got to Paul theologically, is you took time to, to look at Paul experientially. Mm. I think sometimes we forget he's not just in a, you know, yeah. somewhere off in a study somewhere right? Uh, with a with a raw wood desk on black pipe. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there <laughs> or, we go. Yeah, there we go. There we go. You're not seeing Luke, but he's, he's, he has his Paul pipe in now. He's trying to yeah, do his that's Paul right. impression with his tweed jacket on. Yeah. Um, that, <laughs> And Paul is writing this out of really complicated history himself. Mm, and so yeah. when he, you make this really neat point, which I don't know that I'd heard before that when Paul says my, my, his imprisonment is because of you, that's, that's not just a theological concept. He's saying this out of the actual experience he went through. Right. Yeah. He was arrested first by the Jews. Now he's, now he's held by the Romans, but. Right. Yeah. No, no exactly. Um, it, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing to um, remember that, Paul was a guy with a with a history and with a right. story, and um, that makes a difference, I think, to helping us. Un- it's not the final arbiter of everything, sure, but I sure. think it does bring some color and some life into what Paul is writing, particularly as it relates to a profound shift in his own thinking right. that right. happens and the price that he has to pay for living out this profound shift. Um, I mean, if you think about the similarity of Paul's own story to the, to the way in which Messiah comes and rewrites Mm. Israel's story in a way Mm. that she had, had no real grasp on. um, It's really remarkably similar in, in one sense. He grows up, um, as a guy outside of Jerusalem, but as a very faithful uh, Jewish young man. And then right. as he gets older, I don't know what age necessarily, they tell you that it was probably around 12 or so. He's sent to Jerusalem to study under the uh, most wise and learned Pharisee, the Pharisee mm. of the Pharisees, Gamaliel. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting story that yeah. Paul's own personal journey which is not the focus paul's journey was not the focus of this but (laughs) but um thank you for that tongue-in-cheek comment yeah there you go um but at the same time uh there is this and and i think that's the point that i was making at one at one moment um in the text where i said it's if god wanted to help israel navigate this 
incredible new news, this transition from mystery to revelation about who Messiah was and who Jesus was and what he was doing in the world. He built an apostle Paul who experienced this. It just... That's sort of a side sideline, but a really important thing for us. <laughs> now, you, you didn't say this, but it sort of inferred or dawned on me as, as he was, Paul is saying this to the Ephesians, that in one sense, God's really allowed him a lot of credibility too here, right? That that having gone through that and yeah. willing to, to take this Gentile into which, you know, if you were to go back to, um, I don't know, Greece or Macedonia, Paul would have been the odd duck out that would have found himself, in fact, beaten and pursued sometimes by the Judaizers, sometimes by the mm-hmm. Greeks, as you mentioned, right. Ephesus, right. by the silversmiths. Yeah. Now here he's willing, because he has every right to walk in out of the temple to bring this, this Ephesian with him. Mm-hmm. Um, that Then when he goes back and writes to the Ephesians, they know the story, as you said. They, right. they must be aware of the story to right. know, yeah. no, Paul's not messing around. You're right. right. He actually defended us. Yeah. And, and God uses this credibility that Paul has to, to yeah. create trust and support among that body, which is a real yeah. gift of God too. Yeah. Paul, I think. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah. And then the question is, is that, is that something we need to pay attention to too? Like hmm. is our, sometimes our ability to do something like that, wherever we might, might give us credibility and that God mm-hmm. can use. You know, yeah. I, I don't know that you, you were saying all that, but it just yeah. dawned on me as I was listening. No, that's I hadn't a, thought that, about that. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I think certainly it's true. If we see it in Paul, and if we see it uh, so many other places, yeah, it's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, and yeah. like like ESL, I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. there's other ways where this happens, but I've used that when I've talked to people and said, I don't know, Wheatland, well, who, who are they? And I go, and I explain some things. I said, well, you know, we've got a pretty thriving ESL, you do. I say, yeah, mm-hmm. among the among these, you know, immigrant populations down there. Mm-hmm. And I think right. then there's a, there's a credibility piece that happens to say, oh, then I want to hear the kind of things you're talking about, because right. obviously you're putting your money where your mouth is. Right. And exactly. while that may sound crass in one sense, right. I think in another sense, it seems to be that that's yeah. God's pattern. He right. calls us to serve and that gives us the credibility for people to hear our sermon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. sees that it's more than just a platitude, as I right. maybe said at one point that when we start talking about unity, um, and and really loving your neighbor across all sorts of differences that are really uncomfortable. Um, the church doesn't have platitudes. It has yeah. it right. has actual sacrifice, which I, I think that's that's mm. a mm. different that's a different way to think about what it means to love your neighbor. Um, that well, you've seen that as a platitude, um, mm-hmm. perhaps in the last couple of years, maybe um, through the pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. A platitude is love your neighbor, or in, in you know telling the church this that, and here's yeah. here's what we do. We we love and and you don't. But like the church actually has more than platitudes. It has that, right. but it also has with it the self sacrifice, which is actually fills out. <laughs> that platitude and right. in, in a way that I think is um really and this is this is the point you've made too that ultimately any concern about these things however it may sound and mm-hmm. whatever it might accomplish in this time if it doesn't have the cross yeah. at the center of it offers yeah. no real solution to anyone right. I mean it offers kindness it offers sympathy right. those are all nice things but they are pale in comparison to the only right. thing you really need to offer people which is the death yeah. of Christ and his resurrection yeah. Yeah, kindness yeah. and sympathy and understanding and space, all of that stuff <clears throat> makes for a nicer experience in, you know, in society 
at one level, but it is only the cross and resurrection of Jesus that actually accomplishes the sort of unity and love that everything else is a pale comparison of. And, and I think that's why when I have a sermon like what we've had this morning or sun, yesterday, Sunday, whenever it was. Day before yesterday. Yeah. So whenever we have something like this, I think that's, that to me is the greatest challenge in it all is that we are actually the only place as the church under Jesus who has given himself for us that has the resources to actually accomplish the sort of thing that is only talked about. And I'm not saying the church has gotten it right at every time and in every place and in every iteration, we could sit here today and talk about certain churches from certain parts of history that have done exactly the opposite of the sort of loving their neighbor and being present with their neighbor. But where it has been done and where it's been done vociferously and done well, as you pointed out, it's been actually the church that's done it. When, we, when right. you're saying unity and you're saying love, mm-hmm. and you, this is going back to your original point, which I think is yeah. really, really significant, and maybe it's a place to unpack some of that, yeah. is love and unity is what the Bible describes it as, not what our culture describes it as. And mm-hmm. this can be complicated because the culture could say, we, we demand a unity, and, and the church saying, okay, we'll outdo you. We'll do the unity you want, and we'll do it better but we're, we're actually not saying that. We're saying we're doing unity the way that Christ calls it, which may, the world may not recognize mm-hmm. as a positive. Like they may not, they may see something and go, wow, that's really good. But they may see others and go, that's horrible. Yeah. And we'd say, no, this is right because this is what the gospel calls us to. So mm-hmm. in a sense, trying to use the Bible's terms here, they're, they're, in the Venn diagram, there seems to be some overlap, right? And the overlap right. between the world's view of love and unity. Right. And the Bibles, there's some overlap, right. kindness, yeah, sympathy, right. it seems like, yeah. at least in this culture, they get those sort Feeding, of things. Feeding, hungry, that sort of thing. Right, there's some overlap. Be, yeah. But then there are places where our unity is not going to look right, right to the world. And they're going to say, actually, you're really bad at it. And we're going to say, well, we disagree with you on that. Not, I, don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but are, are there some spaces we can talk through about how it might look different when the yeah. church does this sort of thing yeah. that the world may not appreciate? I mean, I can think on gender issues specifically, our love for someone on that issue. Right may yeah. look to the world like hate, but we'd have to say, no, you, you're wrong about that. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, like, I, as I talked about in the sermon, racial and ethnic unity mm-hmm. and, and us um, showing what that looks like and, and, and having that mark in our life here together. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, as you know, um, and, and, and I think I started the sermon with this, that in our own cultural moment, there are very sharp definitions being mm, given mm, to um, exactly uh, what it means to be a racist person in the modern mm. world, or what it means to uh, be economically oppressive to um, your neighbors, that sort of, uh, those, those ideas, um, that may not actually square with Mm. God's intention for humanity to live together Mm. as one in self-sacrificing love 
for each other. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, you know, you use language like this and um, yeah, I think there are some that could take that and say, uh, so I talked about racial and ethnic and socioeconomic unity in our own time and place within the church as a witness to the world. And I think, yeah, there are probably definitions of that that I certainly am not saying that the church shares the same definition as the world does on that. But more of what I was hoping for us to hear and to contemplate together as a congregation is where are the places that we are putting on display radical love for the other that showcases the sort of unity that Paul is asking Mm. the Ephesians to put on display in their own unique time and context. I get that. Mm -hmm. But the same sort of radical unity that that is a rebuke to the powers that are insisting on whether it's separation or unity, they're insisting on their own way of being in the world that they have decided this is the way. And what I'm saying is what's behind that actually is more fragmentation Mm. and, and more division actually. Um, So yeah, the real, the real thing that I want us to consider is are there places in our life together as a congregation that we're not willing to live out self-sacrifice. And by and large, I think, of course there are, and of course we're doing a a bang up job at it. I mean, I think it's all of that together. There are places that we are really, you know, Wheatland is a loving and sacrificing congregation. There's there's no question about that. How can we continue to nurture that and grow into that? Like, it's like, how can that fit us even more and more? Right. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is by taking up the challenge to be thoughtful in the ways in which we are living in a time and in a place where some of these things are being talked about, um, racial equality and, and, and um you know, serving the poor and not oppressing the poor, how do we put on display what it is that we're actually living and breathing as a congregation? And sometimes not perfectly and sometimes not as well as we'd like to, Um, but how can we make this um, part of our witness in our own time and space? And are there places for us to grow in that? Are there relationships that we can continue to lean into and foster? that would make our congregation a visible, an icon in a sense of, of that in our world. Yeah, and that's helpful. I, I think the, this is what can get complicated in all of this. And I think this is in the context of what you're doing in the sermon, I hear this, that, that the, the world is not the standard from when we've accomplished it. And mm-hmm. we, we may say we are working towards a unity in Christ, that the world would actually not respect this is my brother found i think when he went to germany as a missionary and he tried to out nice them because he'd always heard this thing you want to be such a faith that people ask of you you know what's different about you most of the time according to mm-hmm. jesus when the church is the church the world's not amazed mm-hmm. by it the world hates it 
Right. And there, there, I think there's this tendency we can do is we can assume the cultural values on things like race and ethnicity and, and socioeconomic class, and then try to hold the church, say, well, if the church is it, the church will do it better than the world. But sometimes when the church shows love and unity, it will be in a way that we have to actually teach the world what Christ calls unity, because it's not going to agree with the world's terms. It seems like socioeconomic equality or what, you know, um, equity seems to be the way the world defines love, but I can't find that in the Bible. Treating people with respect, I find. Treating people with love, caring for the poor, I find. Yeah. But the idea of equity doesn't seem to be there. And so we can say we're mm -hmm. living entirely in a, in a unit, a body of unity and love and self-support, even though we're not eradicating inequity, because that's not what unity looks like in the body. Mm -hmm. um, but the world would, will have to learn that. You'll have to, you, you're going to look at us from the worldly perspective and go, well, I think you guys are doing a sucky job of unity. And we say, well, you don't understand the gospel then, I'm afraid. Yeah. Not, that, not that we can't be criticized. I think there's truth to that. But yeah. what's your reference point for when we've achieved it? Mm -hmm. And I think I think sometimes we can get confused because because some of the words that we use even in our discussions here have very worldly definitions. Right. And then we're going to use those definitions to evaluate whether we're doing a good job right. or a bad job. We actually want to use mm -hmm. the Bible's terms, which may not line up with the world's expectations mm -hmm. of love. Like mm -hmm. if the world calls love. We, we might not call love. We, we call love something. They call hate sometimes what we call discipleship. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We disciple someone and we say certain things to them, the world say, that's right. very hateful. And we go, no, that's actually quite loving, you know, that there's not yeah. going to be an agreement. So back to your point about cultures differing and the Bible being a reference point mm -hmm. is how, how do we know when we do these things that we're actually doing them according to, we don't want to let the world tell us how to do these. Not that their criticisms aren't right sometimes, but we want right. to know how the Bible teaches us right. unity. And that, that seems to me like a, as we've said all along, a really tough task mm -hmm. to do well. Yeah. No, it is. It's it's it is a tough task, and it's a tough task because um, we are in a time and a space where there's so much noise, and there is so much right. um, information being being um, just firehosed at you at one level. Um, but I think one of the things that we keep coming back to is love and sacrifice mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. are at the heart of the story. Right. I think faithfulness in a community, in a particular location, like our own location here on this corner, to love and sacrifice and welcome our neighbors into our life, that I think is the place where we begin. And, mm. and the question I'm asking, I think in the sermon, is we are doing that in so many ways. Are there ways in which we can continue to deepen and brighten that in our life together? Are there relationships with our ESL students that there are still places that we can mine that and, and come alongside some of the immigrant families? Um, are, what, where are the places that we can continue to deepen and grow in yeah. in putting this on display in our church body. Um, and I think that this becomes a powerful pushback in a time and a space uh, where the powers and that sort of cosmic unforeseen force that I called evil that I think Paul's talking about. I'm not saying right. I understand all that. I'm not, right. I, don't ask me to give you an anatomy of it. I already tried to get out of that by making fun of Frank Peretti. But, 
but that is a powerful force that is having its way and how can we live a life that at least says something against that let me ask it another way and this maybe this gets at it for the sake of our our congregation is they're trying to navigate it because I'm, I'm hearing these things and saying, yeah, so, so the world would tell me I'm struggling with certain things because of maybe my skin color or my position side or whatever, but I want to hear the Bible's terms on what mm-hmm. sin looks like in this. So it, and I'm not saying, and I, I think you're, you've, you've raised the point that there are lots of reasons for division that are not biblical, right? Not sure. defensible. Yeah. Race being one, socioeconomics, ethnicity, and we could go down a line of other things, gender issues. And I mean, there's a long issue, right? There's a lot of things. But if you take all those things that divide, the three that you mentioned, for the sake of our congregation, mm-hmm. how, how might we know, how might it be indicated to me as I'm trying to live my life here? Because this is, yeah. I think, where my, our people might struggle. How would yeah. how I know that those things are actually keeping me from loving my neighbor? Because yeah. I think the world would say in one way, they would say, well, mm-hmm. if there's social disparity and you're in a, in which, by the way, I have lots of problems with because the country is 85, I think, percent, last time I checked, white, and there's a long category there. It's only it's only 12 to 13 percent African-American. That's, and there's other other races in there as well. So it's it's hard to know that if you're loving your neighbor, I think you just said this, you have to have a certain racial makeup in your home, in your in your town. Like these things just become physically impossible in some mm-hmm. ways. So, give, so what kind of things could we know if I want to look at my life and be introspective and say, yeah, here's how I would know that these things are actually keeping me from unity. What, what kind of things might I see in my heart, in my relationship? Give me a good indication of that so that I'm hearing yeah. the Bible's critique of me. Yeah. Well, I think it would go back to what we see in what Jesus has done in his own life and death and resurrection. I mean, we always have to be coming back to the cross, and it has to do, I think, that the first place we look at are are these places of um, love and sacrifice, and um, I, I think probably where Wheatland might be able to discern this the most, it's probably in the ways in which let's say a majority white, not, I mean, just a white congregation, the way in which we live, we move in our own friend circles within mm-hmm. the, the congregation that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Who are you, are, are you willing to live in love and sacrifice within our own congregation start, mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to start with? Um, who do you seek out on a Sunday? Do you mm-hmm. seek out the and, and great Sunday, you're catching up with your friends and you're seeing your friends, but are you also bringing to a Sunday right. morning a sense of the unity of this person that you've never spoken to, perhaps, mm-hmm. or that one that you have spoken to, which has become the reason to never speak to them again? <laughs> <laughs> how are you continuing to move closer to people? How are you becoming um, closer to people, moving towards people in mm-hmm. proximity? Um, that might look exactly like you or are you, are you at heart? That's not to say like some people are just more comfortable with that sort of thing than others. And I'm not saying everybody has to be, um, like I am where I want, I'm just 
interested in every single person. You might be an extrovert, Luke. Right. I might be an extrovert. (laughs) Be a label that someone might stick on me. I understand that everybody's not like that. And I'm not asking. I, I don't think that's that's at all what God calls everybody to, extroversion, because the truth is there is a shallowness that comes with extroversion that you don't get. So again, I understand that, but how is our heart oriented towards the other, Hmm. even within our own congregation? That's one step. Then the next step is how is our heart oriented towards people? of, of other cultures. Maybe, again, let's start with cultures that are really clear and present and divisive in, in um, and maybe not divisive, but there are clear lines of demarcation sometimes mm-hmm. in thinking and talking between this glorious split between city and suburb that exists yeah, goodness, goodness. In, in our congregation. Okay, that's there, there are cultural differences, there are sensibilities, there are, there are differences there. We're not afraid of those. We know they exist. How are we talking to people and hearing them? And, and, and um, I ride a scooter and live in the city. <laughs> what, 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 what do you assume about me, Dan? Because I ride a scooter. I have to say it on the, the podcast. Yeah, no, no. Okay, I also have an old Chevy truck. That's true. And, yeah, you really so, have two sides of your personality. Yeah, that's right. But Okay, be that as it may. So, th- so those are, I'm asking us to think together about unity mm. in ways that give um, thought to our particular location now. Yeah. Yeah. And what grows out of that is, I think there's, I'm, all I'm saying is, I think there, we have a neighborhood and we have a, pe- we have a congregation in a sense on Wednesdays here mm. our ESL congregation and again I know they're not part of our kind con- they're not here to worship but we have a sphere that that is here how are we reaching out to the ones yeah. who are present and growing in that like right. so, so that's what I'm so no that's good is it safe to say this Luke because I one of the things I was thinking of and I, I heard this from Tim Keller one time on a a uh, little presentation he gave on in-laws which I thought was really how parents as you get older yeah. your parents you know you, the point is you might not always get along with your parents and loving them may not mean that you feel love. It just may mean that you care for them. And I, and I, I think I was reading this in was it Augustine that made a similar point that our godliness is not always best indicated in our feelings, that, that there's a sense in which when you serve people, and, and this, I, I say this because I think the world sometimes overemphasizes this point, that there's a lot of introspection to go, you start pulling apart. Do you really feel, is there somewhere where you don't feel you like someone? At, and we start doing this really weird introspection trying to figure out whether that was a result of me not feeling a certain way that that service is a way of saying i i don't like this person this is not the person i would choose to hang out with i don't feel great right and i think that sometimes can happen it's like it's almost like this dowsing rod we walk around with we say i feel like oh i feel drawn to this person and no serving people means you're willing to serve them even if you don't want to and that's okay i mean yeah i I would say the heart follows right yes Um, i think the augustinian principle the heart will follow along but the point yeah. is to serve means not waiting for feelings or not over over stressing about the fact that you don't you don't feel weird. Yeah, you feel weird when you talk to someone from a different culture. Of course you do. They, they yeah. think differently. Their values yeah. are different. It's going to be hard to connect. Right. But your feelings aren't the measure of it. The measure is your no. willingness to serve. Am I am yeah. I am I okay in saying that? Exactly. And that is where the sacrifice part comes right. in right. to this. That it it truly is um, a 
it truly is sacrifice and and there's nothing else to call it but in that sacrifice there are new things to learn and new places to discover and it's not it's not going to feel like um sitting down with a beer with an old college buddy right, or something right, like right, that it's, it's right. certainly not uh and yet are we moving toward those places are we willing to go through that discomfort that often comes with the people that are here in our spheres are we willing to start there and do that and continue mm -hmm, to build this mm -hmm. well, so really this idea of unity it does have to do across skin colors and it does have to do across you know our poor brothers and sisters it, it does unity does have to do with that but it also starts with some of these things that um, are even closer to us in this mm. in this moment as a congregation, I'm mm. thinking um, when the whole pandemic deal went down, and um, you know you were you were around for that, Dan. I, so, <laughs> I believe so. You you've I had to forget it, but yeah, you've had a conversation or two about that. Just a few, yeah. One of the things that I said uh, all along. Well, it, it was clear to me from the beginning, I, I said it not knowing how true it would be, is that what we've enjoyed at Wheatland has been a convenient mm -hmm. unity. And maybe what, what we're being presented with now is a costly unity. Mm -hmm. And and the cost, and by that cost, I, I mean sacrifice, sacrifice mm -hmm. of the things that we are really important to us and really mm -hmm. profoundly shaping of of how we see ourselves and understand ourselves. But at the end of the day, they are not at the center of Christian unity, the cross right. and the resurrection of Jesus. So what can we, what can we sacrifice in that yeah. to stay yeah. connected to one another? Yeah. And, and, and with that in mind, how can we push that even, how can we take that costly unity into the places that we haven't yet as a congregation, whether yeah, that's people helpful. that are already here or people that yeah, aren't here yet. That's right. And that, that's, you know, there's life in that because the, the cultural terms I'm hearing is your bias is your problem. And it might be, no, your bias isn't your problem at all. Your willingness to serve anyone regardless of that is, is yeah. what you do. And I say, if it's sacrifice and pain, and that's, I mean, that's true. I, you know, my good friend would tell me, you know, if you, if you think marriage is about making you happy, you've missed the whole point of this. Marriage yeah. is preparation for his kingdom. God's preparing yeah. you. And that's a whole nother perspective. And I think too, like the church to say, the church is where you have to get it right or you're not loving is to miss the point that this is how God is preparing us for service in the kingdom yeah. where he, that he's establishing later. And so it, it doesn't, ha it's not a matter of ironing it all out. It's not a matter of fixing all of your biases in some way, because even defining those no. can be yeah. difficult. The yeah, question is not to, not to tear apart some introspection of how you feel. The question is, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm, I, I think I got this from our conversation a little bit, is if you see someone that needs attention, and, and, and here's another one too, Luke, and you've said this before, so I'm not saying anything new here. It's just a willingness to listen to a person. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want to hear their story today, but you know what? I, I think they probably need someone to talk to to tell it to. And right. I don't have to understand it. And I don't have to fix it. I don't even know what that means. Right. But I'm willing to at least go over and, and in a kind way say, Hey, it looks like you're not finished. Talk to me about that. Are you all right? right. And I, yeah. I had I had Bill um, Aker do this to me after my dad died, and he was mm -hmm. saw me in church, and he just ran over and gave me a big hug. Yeah, tear coming down his cheek, and he said, "I just want to hear what yeah. happened to you." You know, that was yeah. that yeah. was neat because I I didn't yeah. think Bill was gonna. I don't know if Bill even. I mean, he does care. I mean, I know he does, but yeah. I mean, at the same time, 
He yeah. just wanted to know he, I heard him say, I want to hear you and what, yeah. what you're going through. And that doesn't matter whether you feel good or badly about it. It's just, you're willing to serve in that way. And I, I think yeah. that's life-giving that unity here is something in Christ by his death and resurrection, we can actually work towards. Yeah. Well, the world doesn't give us a whole lot of room to do it. I don't think, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And, and that, that willingness to be uncomfortable without having any <clears throat> substantial answer for someone to, to sit in that space and to be present with love and with patience. Um, that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing. Yeah. We, we, we are people who are walking around thinking, expecting to be able to give answers because we're really smart and, and, <laughs> and we've, we've done a lot of things and, and we've got a lot of our stuff in a pile as the kids, I don't know if the kids say that, but. You use that phrase a couple times, by the way, yeah. but I'm not sure it actually yeah. is what the kids say. <laughs> no, that's right. But the point is that that us beginning to do that is, is, is a step down this path towards living with one another in love and sacrifice. And that's going to work out across city and suburb. That's going to work out right. across um, pickup trucks and vintage Honda scooters. <laughs> and that's going to work out across ethnic and cultural um, barriers as well. Now, let, and, you, I want to come back to that. And we don't have time to talk about yeah. this. Several other things are really interesting about the sermon. One is your whole discussion of the heavenlies and the principalities and powers. And I know you're yeah. going to get to that in Ephesians 6, so maybe we can yeah. hold off on that yeah. discussion mm -hmm. for now. Mm -hmm. But I want to end on the two points that you brought up, and maybe this is a helpful framing of it, that for Paul, it doesn't seem like for him, Rome is his audience. He doesn't, he's not afraid that Rome won't mm -hmm. understand what he's doing, that, mm -hmm. that Rome won't call what he's doing love. They won't mm -hmm. call, they call what he's doing, in fact, Paul's pretty clear about this, lunacy, mm -hmm. stupidity, and that's fine. He doesn't seem to bother him. But it seems like his real audience is this other thing called the principalities where Christ's death mocks them. And mm -hmm. Paul is asking us to mock them yeah. also. Yeah. Um, and I, you made this statement towards the end, this kind of unity that's not welcomed by the powers and principalities. Does it help right. us in some way to not worry about whether the world gets it as our audience, but yeah. that we've got a very clear focus on these other powers that Christ's death mocked, mm -hmm. that we are going to mock by our unity? Is that is that a fair thing to help? To it's the only way to be free, I think, Dan, yeah, yeah. In, in the freedom that the cross provides. Um, mm. it, it is, yeah, th this idea, I think, that not only has love been definitively put on display for his people, for God's people, mm. but that the powers and authorities have been definitively broken mm. in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Mm frees us to live without fear that yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to be triumphalistic i don't want to talk I, I i don't want to neglect the real shadow that we live under and the real um stress and the strain of it all and the real cultural pressure but i think part of what i want to say in this is for my brothers and sisters who find themselves in deep fear of the principalities and powers, mm -hmm. uh, however they label it. I, I think we recognize their real and present power in a sense, but we have to live in that freedom that says, 
I know what the culture is saying. I know what their agenda is. It's been the agenda from the beginning. And right. in this space, Jesus is king. And that Amen. has been definitively broken. Amen. And that's hard because I think at one level, um, I think there is a way that you could be unwise to the powers and just mm-hmm. think, no, oh, those have already been broken in Jesus right. and resurrection. So they're not going to have any sway. No, the point is they do have sway and they do have um, real damage and real pain that they bring into the world through mm. their evil agenda in a sense. Right, right. But it doesn't get the final word and that somehow has to embolden us, not right. in not in a triumphalistic way, but in a confident, humble way. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I, I think sometimes to think of it as, you know, some, some Christians can do this sort of marketing scheme thing that we're going to be such good Christians, the world, and it's using the wrong reference point. You know, the, the thing is those that hate God, specifically the principalities and powers, we're not trying to win them over. We're trying to, mm. we're, we're trying to mock them. We're trying right. to, and I think you even talked about the power that the spirit of the air, as Paul calls it, has the power to divide and mm-hmm. pull away from mm-hmm. God's kingship. Yeah that with the death and resurrection of Christ, his kingship so firmly established that when we obey him in unity and love, we show, we show the power of God's work in a way that those principles have no ability to right. stop. Right. And, and I think of that, I think you're right. To me, when you think in those frameworks, because if I look at the world, it's always hard. Sometimes the world really loves us. Sometimes they hate us. I can't tell, but I know the principalities and powers hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm, I don't want to mock them with this unity and not... Right not measure yeah. as to whether the world is understands it or don't understand mm-hmm. it. And I've, I felt this sometimes where I felt Christians saying, you know, well, the world, the world's right. They, they, you know, they recognize that we failed and somehow right. the world has to be the standard. Like the minute they go, Oh, you guys are loving. We will have won to me misses the point that the world, I'm not expecting them to get it or not get it. The yeah. Prince of powers and powers, they certainly get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they hate it. Yeah. And that yeah. means we're on the right side. Yeah. And, and that's, of course, what Jesus told us would be our situation. Right. right. And I want to end on this too, Luke, because I think it ties things together. The second point you concluded with was that this type of unity is, is complicated and painful. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, and, and maybe I could say this in a way, and you could correct me here or just develop it if it's right, is it, it often is. Sometimes it's not. I think as, 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 the, as God does his work in our heart, sometimes we find that as we obey him, he gives us strength we didn't know we had to do it. So yeah. the fact pain doesn't measure that we're doing it right. Mm -hmm. But to your point, pain and complication can't be a realistic um, limitation. We can't say, well, if it's painful, I won't. If I understand you right, that can never be the limitation. Yeah. Yeah. Our unity. Exactly. I think Paul saying, do not lose heart has to mean something to us. (laughs) Right, right, right. That this is losing heart. Yeah. And it is going to be a, a place where we are at every step tempted to give up and mm. to and to just live in the division or whatever it is that we're mm. capitulating to and paul is mm. saying do not lose heart not simply because it's complicated but it really goes back to the fact that christ has made a show of these powers right and, right yeah so we could conclude with what i what i think and i don't know if you're willing to do this to title the series god's construction project colon temp, home to temple yeah. But I, I think this does, again, re, to deepen yeah. that metaphor yeah. that we expect the, 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 we expect yeah. the plastic down and we yeah. expect you know, dust everywhere for now and yeah. bits and pieces of wood. 
And that's not going to change before you and I pass from this globe. No. Um, that's going to be that for a way long time. And we just learn to accept that that's our, until the kingdom comes, that's our reality. The scaffolding is an eyesore. And it's <laughs> the boards they use on scaffolding. They're always ugly. They're always the worst. They've been around and, and beat up and shit. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. No, but it's been a really helpful metaphor. So where can you give us a sense of, um, I guess uh, Keith is preaching this week. So maybe Keith is going to take us into um, the end of chapter uh, three and this prayer. And I think it flows out. I mean, I've, I've certainly seen it as this prayer where Paul says, okay, not only have I just said it's really hard, uh, this unity and that you're going to face it, but now let me pray for you, brothers mm -hmm. and sisters, mm -hmm. for the strength and the power to continue to be this witness and this and this rebuke to the principalities and powers that are that are really at work in the world. Right. right. Yeah. Good. Great. Well, All thanks, right. Pastor Luke. I, I think um, one thing I really appreciate about you, and I think I've said this before, I always end on this little um, heartfelt appreciation. Oh, yeah. But I yeah. but I think it's true and I want everyone to hear that these are complicated topics. And what I appreciate it, I was just talking to a friend, we just went up to Cigars International to hang out with a couple guys and um, some of them from Archer, some not. And they were asking, what about Wheatland? I said, one of the things that strikes me about, about Luke is he is a pastor who preaches, not a preacher of pastors. And I, mm. I think what that means for me is that you really are willing to tackle hard things and you're willing to say something and then you're willing to navigate it. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard work to do, especially on topics like this that are very sensitive. There's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of exposed nerves on these topics right now, yes. yeah. but you, you don't shy away and you're willing to wrestle back through them. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's important for our people. I, I think it's important for the ministry that you lead us through. So I'm grateful for well, that. So it's a, it's a great privilege. And I'm grateful for all of the folks that God has brought here to help us do that well. Yeah. And uh, you're one of them, Dan. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, your brother. All right. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.